toes to the Chico. Keep it stay loyal to your pink for the love of us. Break to the face like you deep, oh. Now you got dug on all them people. Got you dug up for the recon. For the love of us. Ten toes to the Chico. Dreaming. 
Told me a story, man. I felt her. Her dreams in the sky, but her life is in the cellar. Public assistance was been supposed to help her. She said, Camera. I called Section 8, like get my homie out the shelter. Gave her 50k, gave her a kiss, caught the bella. Invested wisely, don't turn into Cinderella. I don't wanna hear you say, say. I'm in Marshallis, I'm spinning like some propellers, and everybody is jealous because I'm flying in Delta. But to get here, I pass a note to a teller. Pulled to swim me out. And I was lying wet. Come on, try again. Even the skits real. Cousin Bank did a five to ten. Could be on the beach, just Eddie's in the lion's den. He'll never say, say yes. Cause I am a big deal. Say I got it, I smile, cause I have to, for her sake, cause I am a big deal, what they say, say I got it, I smile, cause I have to, for bloodshed, Listen here, girl, I know not what the drama about. Drama, that's when the feds pull up to your mama house. Turn the back, slam the door. Homie, what your mama about? Sometime I got a shot. Brain start to shift when Rock Kim made mahogany. When I decided I had a problem with poverty. Prophecy, thinking homicide, but still logically. Now stars in the car, the ceiling, no astrology. I ain't have a dollar B, I'm lucky to acknowledge me. This around the time the woo had me wearing wallabies. Said you the one game, I say, yeah. I gotta be. Now I'm a father, B. Y'all ain't bother me. But I do this for the castaways. Those moving the pack a day don't gotta be a bagger, yeah. You could be shipping hats away. If you ain't trying to get it, go that away. That's why I had to say. Cause I am a big deal. Say I got it. I smile. Cause I have to. But her Cause I am a big deal. What they say. Say I got it. I smile. Cause I have to. But bloodshed.
WSAE Radio, DJ Mad Max, on the airways here at St. John's University, Queens, New York, and we have a very special guest in the building, multi-platinum producer, yo, yo, who goes yo. by the name Arsonist. How you doing? How you doing today, Arsonist? Can't complain, my brother. <laughs> Welcome to St. John's. Welcome to St. John's University, Queens, WSAE Radio, as I just mentioned. So tell me. A little bit about your background. I know you're from Jamaica, Kingston. No, actually, I'm, um, I'm from Jamaica, but not Kingston. I'm from um, I'm from Mandeville, Jamaica. But I was um, I left there when I was like four years old. My mother and father, you know, first time they came over was when they brought me over. And the rest is history. Moved to the Bronx. Lived in the Bronx most of my life. Left the Bronx. Went to Howard University for a few years. Um, I've been I've lived a lot of places from, you know, Vegas, Connecticut, um a lot of places. Man, mm-hmm. I've just I've lived in different places and I've I've just, you know, visited a lot of places because of music, so you know, I'm just blessed, man. Mm-hmm. I got to ask you, what was it like living in Connecticut? Coming from you because I'm from Connecticut. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I actually, I, you know, I didn't live deep in Connecticut. I was right in Stanford. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know that was. It was um because when I moved, the first time I moved to Connecticut was around nine eleven. So I was actually mm-hmm. making plans to move to Jersey, but after nine eleven happened, nobody wanted to. I didn't want to sit in traffic crossing a bridge every day, so I just I went the opposite direction. And Stanford was cool. I stayed there for about um, 
I'm going to say about five years. And then at the tail end of that, I lived in Vegas for a little while. Then um, came back to New York and lived in different places in New York from Mount Vernon now, you know, to Queens to, you know, so just moving around. Yeah. And I, but I've, but since 2012, I've had a I've had a studio in Manhattan, Midtown Manhattan since 2012. I just switched locations, but I'm still in Manhattan. I'm only like I'm only five blocks from my last place. And what was it like going to Howard University? It was dope. I tell people all the time. Only thing that only thing that messed it up was the classes. <laughs> I mean, it was a, it's like it's a it's a great school to learn how to how to maneuver around people and how to and how to rub elbows with people and and things of that nature. You know what I'm saying? It's a it's definitely not a school that if you don't go there focused, you will definitely be out of that school. Not because the work is that hard, because the temptations around the work. You know, it can keep you from doing work if you don't have a focus or a goal or, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. What would you say is the class that you valued most at your time at Howard? Um, uh, the class I valued the most, I don't know. I'd have to think about it. Mm-hmm. It's been, I'm so far removed from college, I don't even remember my own. I just, I know my, you know, my, my major was architecture. Okay. But those weren't the classes I valued. Because to be honest with you, it was, I became, I went to school to be an architect because my guidance counselor in high school was like, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't know what I wanted to do going into college. So my guidance counselor was like, what are you good at? She looked through my record. She was like, you're good at math and you're good at art. All right. You ever thought about architecture? And I'm like, no. So I signed up for Howard under the school of architecture. They accepted me and, you know, I went there, ended up getting kicked out of college got into a fight at the uh, like my fourth year. I was in a five-year program. My fourth year got into like a, a huge fight on campus. Um, got kicked out, came home. When I came home, my uh, homeboy, my, my old partner at the time, Thriller, was was uh, he had bought an MP, and he was going out of town. He was going out of the country. Matter of fact, he was going to um, he was going to Trinidad. So I'm like, yo, let me let me hold the MP and see if I could. You know, he let me hold it for like about a week. I did some bullshit on there. It sounded cool, but I made like a couple of beats. I kept them, and then he, when he came back, he took the MP back. And I remember I, I um I got introduced to a guy by the name of Todd Terry, that's a house producer. If anybody's into house music, he's like a he's like the originator of sampling. Like he's the one that started sampling, and the reason why you probably got to clear samples now is because of him. But anyway, um, I met him. He had a hip-hop artist at the time, and I got introduced to him as a producer. Mm-hmm. So he was like, yo, you got any beats? Let me hear some beats. And I only had those two bullshit beats that I made. And he loved them. I mean, I loved them enough to buy them. He asked me how much. I didn't know what to say for a beat, so I just said $1,000 each. Mm-hmm. Thinking that, I'm like, there's no way he's going to go for that shit. He probably going to laugh at me. He went in the back to his safe, got $2,000, brought it back, and was like, yo, I need more beats. And I'm like, yo, I don't, I don't really have any more beats. I borrowed my homeboy's equipment and... You know, he's like, where you live at? I said, I live in the Bronx. He's like, let me get your address. You know, at the time, it seemed seemed kind of weird. I'm like, gave him the address. Like about three, four days later, he sent me like about $30,000 worth of equipment. You know what I'm saying? And I was I was off to the races. And that was basically your introduction to the game, which Thrilla had the beat machine. Right. And you started making the beats. Now... Everyone knows you started with the dip set making the beats for them. And I know before that you made beats for cannabis. Yeah. So how about you tell us the story of how you got connected with cannabis? Um, well, the cannabis thing was kind of like the beginning of Heat Makers as far as 
we we knew a guy who it's gonna sound weird. We knew mm-hmm. a guy who knew a guy who was an A and R at at Universal. So the guy who knew the A and R Universal was like, "Yo, you know, I got an idea. I want to start a team of dope producers called the Heatmakers." Da 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 da. This that and the third. So we're like, "Yeah, it sounds dope." And um, he's like, "Yo, um, Cannabis working on the album. I need y'all to give me some beats for Cannabis." Gave him some beats for Cannabis. They ended up picking the um, how many beats did they pick? Ended up picking one beat. It was one. They picked one beat and. They paid us, and when they paid us, the dude who was the middleman at the time, obviously, you know, he got to get his PC, or that's the way the game works. Yeah. So he's like, "All right, cool. Um, you know, they only paid us. They only paid us five thousand dollars. I'm gonna. I got to give a thousand to the lawyer, which is gonna leave us with four. He was like, um, and then somehow we got left with like, I want to say he said the lawyer wanted fifteen hundred, and he was gonna take a thousand. So now we were left with, it was like 2500 and we had to, me and Thrill at the time had to bust it in half. And it wasn't until years late, like a couple of years later, I remember I ran into a guy from Universal, and he was like, yo, man, y'all, y'all made off on your first record. Y'all, y'all sold your first record for $10,000. I'm like, what are you talking about? He was like, yo, the yeah. record y'all did for cannabis, you sold it, it was $10,000. Y- y'all are lucky, first time out the gate, y'all got $10,000. i am like, not, you know what I'm saying? Because in my head, we got five. So at that point, I'm like, you know what, man? Like, people want to do shisty things. So, you know, Tuka played that game. I incorporated Heat Makers, and Heat Makers, we went off to the races. And that was close to, that was over 20 years ago, like 20, a little over 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. But here we are. And you mentioned the name of Heat Makers, and your name is Arsonist. So, how you, did you choose that name? Well, the funny part is I had arsonists before Heat Makers. I used oh, to, you did? So yeah. you always went by that. I used to DJ. My name was DJ Arsonist. I just spelled, there was another DJ Arsonist from, or Arson from the Bronx, and he used to spell his name, you know, regular A-R-S-O-N. So I'm like, I don't want nobody to confuse me with this dude. So I used to spell my name R-S-O-N-I-S-T. I used to just drop the A and instead of Arson, it was Arsonist. And when Heat Makers came along, it just, it was made perfect sense. I didn't have to change my name. It, was, it just worked. And when was the first time that you touched the turntables? As you um, just mentioned, you were a DJ. My my sophomore year of high school, because I had a friend of mine that he was DJing, and he used to everything was a competition with him. So he would make it into a competition, like, um, "Yo, my mixes is this, that," and I didn't even DJ. I didn't even have any dreams or hopes to DJ. Mm-hmm. I just was so competitive, and he was talking so much shit that I had to. I just went ahead and got equipment. Mm-hmm. I taught myself on that. I started to fall in love with it, buy records, go to just keep buying records or singles, you know what I'm saying, two of each so I could do tricks. And I used to watch all the DMC battles and, you know, I, I got into it. Like, And then that kind of spearheaded just my, my love for music in general. You know what I mean? I didn't, when I started, when Thriller let me his beat machine, I didn't know how to, I didn't know the first, I didn't even know where his snare goes. As You know, like, yeah. I, I used to listen to a lot of reggae music too, so... You know, if you know anything about reggae music, the placement of the drums are different. So I, I, I used to sample, like, American records and try to, and then I'd be somehow putting a reggae drum patterns to them yeah. until I had to teach myself the difference. Like, okay, cool, that's a reggae swing. It's a hip-hop swing. And later on in my career, I've learned how to combine the two so it's it gives it a sound that most people don't have. Because most people, their mind is, especially a lot of hip-hop producers, their mind is programmed to do straightforward drums, and that's where the name, to me, that's where boom bap comes from. I don't make boom bap. 
So when people, I don't even like people mentioning that around me. Like boom bap sounds old. I don't make old music. When I put when we put out El Capo, El Capo sounds fresh. And I mean, yes, it's a New York sound that I guess some people can call, you know, nostalgic or whatever you want to call it. But it's it's the newer version of what I did in two thousand and one with the Diplomats. Mm. You know what I mean? This is a this is it's a it's a cousin of that sound, and it's just it's a bigger sound. And it's classic, as you just said, but it's fresh and new. Right. What's your view on production today? Because when you turn on the radio, you listen to the top charts now, everything sounds the same, even the beats. I say everyone has the same sound. You could tell what's an arsonist beat. You could tell right. back in the day what's a primo beat. Right. What's your view on the production state right now? I, I think because of the Internet and, and the way music is, is put out to the people, producers feel the need to to worry about quantity over quality mm-hmm. so now they realize that um you know their artists their artist counterpart put out five albums in one year they only put out two so now they they feel like they got to step up their productivity so now they sacrifice quality for quantity not knowing that because of the way music works now because i have music never dies like back in the day a song might come off the shelf and you couldn't get a copy of that song so you was just asked out yeah now every song you've ever wanted to listen to is at your fingertips at any time so what does that tell you or what should that tell you as a producer that should tell you the better i make the record the longer people are going to listen to it but a lot of producers don't look at it like that they look at it like such and such just put out 20 records last week i got to put out 21 yeah. I never looked at it like that. I look at it like, yes, I, I do believe that, that that quantity is important, but I believe that because of the state of music now, quality is even more important because people actually can listen to your record for a lifetime if it's that good. You know, so I, and again, I go more for a feeling, man. I never, I don't chase a sound. I go after, it has to, the record I do has to make me feel something. Cause if it don't make you feel nothing, then, we don't buy we don't buy albums anymore. We don't. I mean, when I say we don't buy albums, I mean physical copies. So what does that tell you? Why, why do we download music for a feeling? If it doesn't yeah. give us a feeling, then what are we listening to? We're just listening to, to white noise. So I want to give people a feeling. But everything that I make has to give you a feeling. Has to trigger something. If it doesn't do that, then I fail my mission. Mm-hmm. And I don't think a lot of producers think like that. You know, like when I'm dead and gone, and my 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 kids are playing the music. Or playing my music for somebody else, I want them to feel through the music what I was about. You know what I mean? Like when you listen to it and it gives you a feel and a consistent feel from record to record, and it might switch moods, but you kind of know it's the same. It's the same conductor behind all of these, and you like, I, I understand what he's about. Like I listen to like I listen to Primo, and through his music, I can just tell what type of vibe he's on, just because it's that different. Same thing with Timbaland. Same thing with Swizz. All the notable producers, you know, down to Just Blaze, to Kanye, to Justice League, to people who, when you listen to their music, it has a distinct sound. You can kind of tell what they're about, but the producers that jump all over the place and anybody could have made the record, it's like, you're just chasing a hit. You might catch a hit in this day and age, but this day and age, a hit, unless you make a mega hit, a regular hit now lasts about a month. Yeah. Tops. You know what I'm saying? Back in the day, that same hit would have lasted you a year. But again, because of the way music is delivered to the people, it's different. So you sell your soul to get a hit that's going to last you for a month. What does that really say about you and your and your whole approach to the game? You know what I mean? I just, I guess I've been doing it so long that I realized that anybody can catch lightning in a bottle one time, and I don't, I don't aim for that. 
You know what I mean? I I just aim to I aim to do bigger and better things. And to create timeless music. Yeah, that goes without saying. That's what I'm saying. If I give you a feel that is going to stick with you, because what happens is like I have a lot of people that hit me like, yo, you, yo, you're the dude that produced the music to my high school years. And the reason why they could say that is because that that music let off an energy to them that made them feel a way that they never forgot. And, and they attached that feeling to a certain part of their life. You can't say that about a lot of music. A lot of music, like think about it. Think about the amount of music we intake over the course of not even your lifetime. Let's just say five years. Yeah. How many of those really stick? Small, maybe one yeah. percent, maybe. Because we hear a lot of music. We hear over five years. You probably hear it, but whether you know it or not, just riding in cars and listening to radios and going on the internet, especially with the internet and, and Instagram and everything, your ears probably hear about ten to twenty thousand songs. Yeah. Right. And out of, those t- out of those 10 to 20,000, how much you really remember? Not many. This is what I'm telling you. So mm-hmm. with that being said, any like how we can sit here and talk about El Capo and you saying how you feel about El Capo, mission accomplished. Because, again, you do radio. You listen to a bunch of music. Yeah. And, and besides you doing radio, you ride around in cars. You, you, you're on the Internet. Music is playing every day, all day in different places. If we go into a a lounge around here somewhere there's going to be just music playing through the speakers yeah. whether we know it or not we come in contact with tons of music every day that we don't it doesn't stick so my goal is to make music that you can't just walk by and not be like yo what's that i need that or yo that's dope I, that made me feel yo can i get a copy of that where can i buy it? you know i need that type of reaction if i don't get that type of reaction from a lot of records that i make i'm not saying every record but at least 90 percent of the records i make i'm I'm, you know what I mean? I got to reapproach, mm. but it's been working so far, so I'm I'm not you know I'm not mad. You've been in the industry for a long time. When did you would you say that the time just the sound changed as a whole? Um, around two thousand and seven, eight. Two thousand seven. Around two thousand seven, eight. Around that area. You know what I mean? Around that area, because at at one point, what had happened was it went from it went from Crunk to trap, like Crunk had a short span, like with Little John, and yeah. you know what I'm saying as far as like the impact. But, but then there was Jeezy with Jeezy and Ti with you know they came in with, they had a name for their style of music, and that's I think, for so many years it was just like okay cool it's hip hop music it's this it's that. When trap came out, it was like it gave a certain region or certain regions their own identity, mm. and I think that's why it was so powerful because for years. New York was kind of like the was kind of like the dude walking around with his chest high, like yo, yeah. we started hip hop, we did this, we did that, and then the South came around and said, "All right, cool, we're not gonna do it the way y'all did it, but we're gonna do it like this, and this is the name of it, yeah. and we're gonna make it so crazy that y'all gonna feel like you have to fuck with it in order to be successful." And that shit happened for years, you know what I mean? Like, I watch New York artists who wouldn't even have known how to approach a trap record, start trying to make trap records because they felt like that was their only way to stay in the game. And the shit almost became disgusting to watch. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because, I, like, again, I salute the, the like the South and all the regions that, that was pushing trap heavy or drill music or whatever it was. I respect that because that's your sound. You know what I mean? I can understand you being tired of of having to use somebody else's town to get on. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I know the South was tight back in the day when they had to make, quote-unquote, hip-hop records to try to pop because that probably wasn't their thing. But now that the, you know, like, you have Migos and you have, uh. um, 
you know, a bunch of young, young thug, thug yeah, yeah, young thug artists of that nature. That's cool for them. But then when there's a dude out of the middle of Brooklyn sounding like that, sounding like Migos, it's hard for me because that's that. I mean, I understand you listen to the radio and that's probably what you grew up to. But I'm just from a I'm, I'm from a time where creativity was was everything. You know what I mean? Where you went into the studio and you tried to figure out how not to sound like the next person. Now it's like, how can I sound as much like that person as possible? You know what I mean? That's what it's, that's what the game has come to now. So even for me, with the type of music I make, when certain artists come in my studio and they tell me they want beats, I got to let them know, like, yo, you know I don't make trap music, right? Like, this, yeah. I, don't wanna, I don't want either one of us to be misled going into this. I make soul music. And, I, you know, I make a bunch of different variations of soul music, but... My music is strictly based on feel. I'm not going to trap it out for you. I'm not going to take a classic record and put trap drums on it. Like I heard some dude yeah. the other day played a <laughs> played I'm Ready. He redid I'm Ready and put trap drums on it. And I'm like, no. Yeah, like, that doesn't that couldn't sound right. It, it wasn't meant for yeah. that. You know what I'm saying? I just believe it's like another dude just put out Dipset Anthem, his version, and put trap drums on it. And I'm like... Where's the creativity? You took the way I chopped the sample up exactly and just put drums on it. Like, what? Yeah. You understand? Like, how does that make you feel like, as the producer, how can you tell somebody I made this beat? You didn't make that beat. Like, granted, people will be like, yo, but you sample. Yes, but if you listen to the way I sample, I sample and take shit apart and put it back together. You know what I mean? Like, That's creativity. Right. You listen to any record, it's not going to sound like that when you play it back before I did anything to it. Mm-hmm. You understand? Like, if you play the original sample of, we pick any record off of, off of El Capo, if you take Crystal Occasions. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, a lot of people won't know where that sample came from. I won't tell them, but it's, you would never know. You know what I'm saying? It's chopping it up and, and rearranging and doing a bunch of shit, and it's, that's creativity to me. I don't believe that you take somebody else's work. Like, if I ever take something that, let's say I took something somebody else did, and I don't change it enough. I'm telling people, nah, I just looped it up and I put it out. I don't even put the heat maker's tag on it because at the end of the day, I didn't do nothing to it. I'm not trying to take credit for something that stayed the same. Yeah. So, and I think a lot of people don't think like that now. It goes back to what I said before. People just, they just want to get in the door. They don't give a fuck how they get in the door. They don't realize that when you get in the door, you actually got to stay. Or else it doesn't, it didn't make sense for you to get in if you can't stay. And a lot of dudes can't stay. They don't know how to, like, when the light is on them, they don't know how to lead the way because they've never been creative. They've always followed the lead. So now when they're in the lead, they don't know what to do. They're confused. And, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. And I got to just give you a round of applause for staying in the game for so long and being mm-hmm. creative at what you do mm-hmm. because we need more art producers like you that knows the ways to just stay relevant and just make hits and good music. Right. Stuff that's timeless and relates to people, as you mentioned, the guy that reached out to you from high school just listening to your stuff. Right. And the soundtrack years. I don't think people realize the importance of a of a sound or a brand. Because I think everybody thinks about now. They don't think about twenty years from now when if you didn't make a name for yourself, you can't stay in the game because nobody cares. It's like think about it. If heat make if heat makers never had a sound and we I keep saying we like it's a bunch of us. It's really just me. But if heat makers didn't have a <laughs> if heat makers didn't have a sound and I'm like 
20 years later, I'm telling people, like, yo, this is what I'm charging for a beat. And knowing that the climate of music is different now, yeah. they would laugh at me. But because they understand the brand is built and solidified, you can't. You got to just respect it. Yeah. It's either you're going to pay it or you're going to say, I can't afford it, but I respect it. And I think a lot of people don't understand the importance of building the brand in that way. I think they just look at it like, yo, I got to get lit now. Yeah, that's cool, but what happens when the next wave of producers come in and you didn't even solidify your spot in this era? You're finished. So, you know, I kind of I kind of understood that early that the Heatmakers brand had to be held up to a certain, you know, to a certain standard. Mm-hmm. Now, tell me, when did you get connected with Cameron and Jim Jones? Um, uh, in about 2000 uh, at the time, it was me, um, Thriller, and my other partner. It was three of us at the time. And we um, we were in North Carolina. We ran into a um, – no, not North Carolina. Actually, we came back up from North Carolina, and we ran into a dude by the name of um, Renee McLean. Mm-hmm. And Renee McLean used to manage Cam at the time. So we were doing some different business with him about something else. And he was like, yo, um, what do y'all do? Because, you know, we were spending some money with him. And I guess he was trying to figure out how the fuck he was getting our money. He was yeah. like – what do y'all do? I said, yo, we produce. So he was like, um, word. He said, yo, I manage Cam. Let me get some beats for Cam. And I always kept the CD on me. So I had a CD of like 20 beats, and I gave it to him. And he hit me He hit me back and was like, um, matter of fact, Cam hit me and said that um, out of the 20 beats that I gave him, I think they picked nine. So nine of them was on Diplomatic Community, the first one. And then I did an extra two, and that was it. And it was all history from there. Yeah. The thing I also wanted to get into was a few years back, the whole Mace Cameron thing. And right. you made the beat for Dinner Time, right? Yeah. How fast did that beat have to be made after the Oracle came out? Um, Let me tell you the crazy part about that. The Oracle came out, right? But around that time, I was on, like, my gospel wave where I was just mm-hmm. sampling a bunch of gospel records. And, and that was in the beginning, too, of yeah. Dinner Time. Yeah, exactly. So... When the Oracle happened, I remember me and Jim was in the studio, and I'm like, yo, Jim, you hit Cam. Tell him I got the record for him. I said, you know, Mace on his past the vibe. And I said, I got this record. And in the beginning, it's saying some it's saying some fire shit. I said, I think it'd be dope for him. So I played it for Jim. He said, yeah, send that, send that to him. Send that to him. And he did it real quick. The only thing that I was mad about is that I didn't get a chance to mix that record. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know who he had mixed it, but... I think the point would have got across better if if I'd have got a chance to mix it and really arrange it the way it should have been. But it, again, it was fast. But that's how it came about. It's just like I thought about okay, Mace is on his past the thing. I got I sampled this record. What it's saying in the beginning is fire. Maybe he'll fuck with this. And you know, Jim agreed, sent it to him. And the next thing when I heard it, it was up on the ground. Yeah. That's when Cameron previewed it, and he was laughing. And yeah. Had, yeah. Were you in that video in the background by any chance? No, no, no. I was I was in my studio. Oh, okay. And I didn't even know if he was going to use it. Everybody just kept hitting me like, yo, look, go to camp. But I think he had tagged me. Mm-hmm. And then I finally went to my Instagram. I'm like, oh, shit. And I remember the clip on the gram signed of fire. When he put it out, I'm like, damn, wish he'd have let me mix it. Because mm-hmm. people kept hitting me about the mix. Like, damn, why it sound like that? And, you know, I think Cam was on the road when he did it and he rushed to put it. I don't know. but I think he just wanted to get it out as soon as yeah. possible because you know how beefs are. You want to get it out right away. If you yeah. wait, they consider you lost because you waited so long. Yeah, a million percent. Yeah. So I know you just did some work for Purple Haze too, which was fire. Big yeah. deal. Like I said to you earlier, best record on the project. How long have you been putting that together for? Um... 
Well, big deal. People could see it was on a snippet of it was on the gram for like shit since we was working on diplomatic ties. Mm. Um, the intro I did, um, I want to say a year, a year before uh, Purple Haze Two came out, and um, the last record I did, which was the most recent, was Fastlane. Fastlane I sent to him, um, probably like July. Yeah, I think I sent him like fast late in July or August. So yeah, we did those three, you know. But we got other plans. I'll speak on that later. But we definitely got other plans. It's gonna be kind of fire. I think people will appreciate. And I'm working on Ocapo too, or Jimmy and the, Jimmy and the Heat Makers. I think we might name it. But it's fire. It's fire. Just saw that you were in the studio the other day with Dave East and Jim Jones too. Yeah. So what's it like being in the studio with Dave? What you guys got planned for that too? Um, actually, the crazy part is I've been in the studio, not been in the studio for like, you know, a long period of time, but years ago before Davies is, I mean, was what he is now, I did work with him then, like a feature that he, he was featured on another artist's record. It was, um, him and another artist's name, Dub from LA, I think. They did a record together and I did the beat for that, but that's the first time I met Dave and then... You know, years later, we always kept in contact, and even when we were in the studio now, he was like, yo, we got to get together and work on, um, I guess, some stuff he got coming for his next project. But um, the record we just did with him and Jim is fire. It's fire. I'll be looking forward to it. And it's expected, you know. I mean, yeah. these are two, well, Dave East is a legend in the making. I mean, Jim Jones, he's already solidified himself. Right. But I expect that. That's what New York needs. Like, I think the goal for El Capo 2 or Jimmy and the Heatmakers, whatever, the, you know, we're going to end up calling it, I think is just... I wanna. I don't want to give him a car, a carbon copy of El Capo One. Mm-hmm. You want to do something different. Like I, I mean, in the sense of, I mean, still give him that that soul music and, oh, and, and pain and all that stuff. And but I want to even the features. I want to attack different. You know what I mean? Like I want to get some maybe some unexpected features that sound good on the records that people be like, oh, that, I didn't expect that, but that was dope. You know what I mean? Because I think Jim, being the artist who he is, they expect him to stay within a certain spectrum of features. You know what I mean? As far as like. Whether it be a you know the, the the Fabs and the Davies and the um, Rick Rosses and the you know that and the Camrons, mm-hmm. I mean Cam obviously is always going to be on a gym project. I'm just saying in the sense of I just want to show him that you know like Dipset is loved everywhere in yeah. my opinion. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, Dipset was the one rap group or set of or set of people in rap that was accepted from here to Cali or here to fucking Asia. They changed the culture. Right, and I think to this day it's still people still remember what they did for the culture, and it's kind of like it's a that's why it's but like the Dipset logo holds so much weight now as opposed to other logos in hip hop. You look at Dipset, you look at Wu Tang; those are like the two biggest logos from rappers. Yeah, you know, so. I agree. But you know, if you think of the Diplomats and you look at G Unit, right. that was New York hip hop. And a million percent. We wanted to see how longer and how, like, see more artists coming out with that similar style. Right. And it just disappeared because you had the Diplomats and G Unit. We expected hip hop to go even bigger with this. Right. And then all of a sudden, all these artists just, like you said, followed the other wave of the sound I, I down think south. New York, and all became, that. New York became filled with politics, and that's ultimately was what did us in the first, the first go round. You know what I mean? I think, I think New York. <clears throat> the powers that be in New York realized the powers that they had and abused it. 
and they abused it all the way until New York artists abandoned them and went down south to try to find safe haven. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and now they're working diligently to try to you know to, to, to try to fix it, and it's harder than they think because now people have embraced trap music as urban mu- that's the that's the herb the top of urban music yeah when people talk about like yo we need urban music on our label they're not thinking about fucking any type of rap rap shit they thinking about bounce get lit type of shit yeah. that's what they, that's what they call it urban music now you know what i'm saying so it's it's up to the people that give two shits to to make music with with I mean at the end of the day I'm not knocking that I don't want people to think mm-hmm. like I'm knocking trap music mm-hmm. I'm not knocking it at all what I'm saying is too much of anything is not good for you change it up a bit it's right. good to even, have a change even when soul music was when everybody was making soul music you know around that time like even R&B artists was coming out singing over soul tracks yeah even that was getting too crazy. Too Even that's changed, in my opinion. You look at R and B. A lot of artists today, auto tune. You don't have a Keith Sweater anymore. There is no R and B. You know what I mean? I mean, if you could name R, you got to tell me what R and B is. It's either pop or that shit is considered hip hop. You don't have a Keith Sweater, Brian McKnight anymore. No, and I, I don't think you ever will because, again, that type of music takes too long to put together. So. The only way that would have worked is if the if, if if Keith Sweat decides to put out a project now, his core fans will find him and they'll support him. But as far as a new artist doing that right now, I think that he can't he or she, unless they have a, a ridiculous catalog, I don't think they can keep up with the demand. And it's because it takes a, a minute to make that type of music. You yeah. know, you got you got all type of harmonies, you got backgrounds, you got bridges, you got unless you can keep up with the demand and get people interested in it again because people aren't interested in R&B anymore. Yeah. That, like, you see all, like, people that make R&B, they care about all the little nuances in the back. Yo, did you hear that that harmony I had? Or did you hear... People don't listen hard enough to care anymore. It's it's a real microwave society now. So it's like, if the shit can't be done in under 15 seconds, I don't want it. That's what I call a microwave rap. Yeah. That's what it is. It is. But at the end of the day, we got to find that, we got to find that medium that... The bridge... Yeah, and, and I wouldn't even say the bridge because I don't even think some of those artists can cross the bridge. Yeah, I agree. And, and the same way on our side. I don't think – I don't want to make it sound like it's us against trap, but what I mean is <laughs> certain New York artists aren't meant to do that type of music they're, and vice versa. They're not. It's I, like I don't want to hear Migos on a premiere beat. And I don't want to hear Cam it, and Jim on a trap beat. This is what I'm, this, this is what I'm saying. I just – certain things I just don't want to hear because I feel like – it's like I wouldn't want to hear a fucking MOP featuring Little Pump. You understand? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's almost like nothing against Little Pump. I respect him for the music he makes. I respect MOP for the music they makes, but we should not cross lanes with that. And that's yeah. what and hip hop started to get to that point. We were crossing those boundaries where it's like, yo, why is this dude on the record with this dude? Yeah. Oh, I see what this is about. This they trying to they just want to sell records. They think this is the way to stream. You know what I mean? I the problem is why a lot of older artists think that younger artists stream more is that a lot of the older fan base, they don't even understand the whole streaming process. Yeah. That's the only reason. They still trying to find records, whether they look for it on, um, they go to the studio. How can I get a copy of such and such? What are you talking about? Go to Apple Music. What you mean? Where's Apple Music? Download such and such. Or download Spotify. What Spotify? They just don't know. So I think it's it's mainly ignorance. It's not even that... 
the older audience doesn't want to stream. They're just stuck in their ways of how they used to listen to music. They got the same 20 CDs in their car, and they probably keep popping that shit and listen to that shit day after day. And whatever comes on the radio, they might catch. But as far as streaming, they don't understand. You know what I mean? Like, they just don't understand how to stream. And I think that's the problem. The younger generation grew up with a phone in their hand. Yeah. So streaming is second nature to them. You know what I'm saying? Just like how you may have grown up with the vinyls, and I grew up right. with the CDs. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's all a process. Exactly. And, and then it's up to certain people to, to really to stay in the loop. Some people, once once they get passed by technology, they never try to catch up. You know what I mean? Like the other day I told my mother, I'm like, yo, let me put cash up on your phone. So if I got to send you money, I don't got to come all the way out here to. And she's like, no, I don't touch my phone. Leave my phone. And the next thing you know, you put it on my phone and somebody takes my bank number. And then I'm like, ma, listen to me. This is, come on. <laughs> At the time it was 2019. I'm like, it's 2019. Let me, And then, you know. A few weeks later, she's like, yeah, you know, send me this. I'm like, see, if you had the cash app, I could have did that. So that's ended up putting cash app on the phone, but it was a fight. And that's how it is even for streaming. I've, I've ran into Uber drivers who are playing shit like fucking, like, like Chief Rocker and, and, and Grand Pooba in, in the car. And mm. I'm like, oh, you fuck with this? They're like, yeah, man, this is only, this is real shit, man. Brand Nubians, yeah. yeah. I got my fire. I got my CDs and nothing. I'm like, yo, you do know you could plug shit up to your car and just stream this, right? You don't have to walk around with this bag of CDs like a fucking Neanderthal. Yeah. <laughs> and they just don't get it, man. I think that's what that's what's making our generation suffer from as far as like not the music not getting out there like that because a lot of the people that are in our age group don't care about streaming or they don't they don't know how to. As simple and as stupid as that sounds, they just they don't fuck with it. Yeah. I understand. I totally understand that because I'm someone that still goes to vinyl stores and collects vinyls and CDs. I I appreciate that culture because I grew up with that. And moving on from there, I know you also have worked with Lil Wayne and a lot of the other greats. I definitely Mm want to touch base on Lil Wayne. He is a huge fan base on St. John's and one of the greatest of all time, no doubt. What was it like working with Lil Wayne? Um, The crazy part is me me and Wayne have been in studios other than the times that we did the records together. Like, when we did the records together, uh, um, big shout out to my man British. I think today's his birthday, too. Happy birthday to British. Mm, happy birthday to him. Um, I had given British some beats because British was doing some work with Cash Money at the time. British is Cam's manager now. Okay. Uh, back then, I don't know if he was, but now he's Cam's manager. And um, I had given some tracks to British because he said he was going to be around Cash Money. And he was like, yo, Wayne's looking for beats. So I gave him the beats in, like, March. Mm. And they hit me back. Well, British hits me back in October. He was like, yo, they want these two beats. I need you to send it to them. And if any, back then, this was like 2005. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was for the Carter II. Yeah, it was the yeah. Carter II. So this was 2005 in October because the album came out November 15th, I want to say, or November 5th, something like that, if my memory's right. But anyway, they hit me in, in October to send the beat so they could mix it. Back then, I, start, I was at my homeboy's crib. I wasn't even at my house, and I had to send the beats through dial-up. Do you know how long that shit took to send... Wave files for two songs through dial-up. That how shit long? took about like eight hours. Anyway, they now get, it goes in minutes. Right, that was seconds. Man, just yeah, just click the button and shit's gone. <laughs> anyway, so they mix the song. Um, and at this time, I, I still I I met Wayne before, but never after we did the music. So then one day I'm at BET. I forgot what I was doing at BET at the time. And Wayne was at BET, and we just happened to cross paths. And I introduced myself because we never—I I don't think he remembered me as being Heatmakers from the first time we met. Yeah. So I'm like, Yo, Wayne, what up, man? You know Heatmakers? You know I did the Mob and I did Receipt on your album. He's like, Oh shit! You know, like he's like, Yo, that's love, man. Yo, 
thank you, man. I appreciate you. Da, da, da. Like, real cool dude, man. Like, you know, down to earth, humble, and just a good dude. I've, I've Since then, I've, I've been trying to, you know, get back in with Wayne to do some work because I feel like we could really make some good music. And I've actually... um. I actually sent some music over for whatever project he's working on now, and they told me they liked a few joints, but I don't, you know, I, I don't know, so I don't want to speak on it yet. But I'm, that's definitely something I'm going to revisit. Definitely made the cl- timeless songs on the Carter too, especially yeah. the Mob is a great one, as we all know. Yeah, I also read a story online about you being in the studio with Big Pun and Fat Joe. Is that true? Yeah, that was a, that was that was actually my first studio experience. Wow. A friend of mine used to go to uh, big shouts. My man Lynx used to go to school with um, with Cuban Link at the time. Okay, and, a shout out to him. And we had just started producing, so he was like, "Yo, maybe I could come through, play him some beats." And funny enough, the beat that we did for Cannabis, the um, the sequel, yep. Fat Joe actually wanted that beat for the Terror Squad compilation album, and I don't remember what happened, why it never worked out, but that first meeting with Big Pun and Fat Joe was the reason that gave me the fuel and the, the energy to keep producing. Like, really was the conversation I had with Fat Joe because Fat Joe was just telling me how the game works and kind of putting me up on shit as a, as a young producer and telling me, you know, how much money you can get fresh out the gate and just things of that nature. And I just remember that conversation always stuck with me and I never I never lost focus after that conversation. So, you know, I tell even when I see Joe, I tell him, like, I know you don't remember that, but that was a pivotal point in my in my career as far as like am I going to stay with this or am I going to do some other shit and that conversation let me know that this is what I wanted to do mm-hmm. man being in the studio with Big Pond man one of my favorite rappers of all time yeah. I said it all the time he's underrated who Big Pond? yeah I mean I don't know who would have him underrated if you ever heard him maybe the newer generation because yeah. they didn't hear him but anybody that was alive I mean anybody that was listening to music when Pond was alive they already know what it is, man. I mean, Pun was different. Pun was a different breed of MC, mm-hmm. from especially what people don't think about is what was out at that time. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, there was other rappers out. There was a bunch of, but when Pun, the shit that Pun was saying around that time and the way he was saying it and the charisma Pun had and everything was just, it was different, man. Yeah. I think it, it showed in his record sales. It's not a coincidence he was the first Latin rapper to ever go platinum. He was he was that nice. Yeah, you know what I mean. So anybody that would have pun underrated, just to me, they don't know music. You can't know music. Yeah, pun was a beast. Capital punishment is crazy. Yeah, a million percent. Classic. Big shout out to my man, Young Lord. He did um, he did uh, what record did he do? The um, the what was the name of the dun, 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 his single? He did the uh, he just wanna be like pun. Oh, it's so hard. Yeah, it's so hard. Yeah, that was off of Yeah, yeah. Baby. Yeah. yeah, big shout out to my man, Young Lord. He did that. Big shout out to Buckwild. I know Buckwild, I think, did Dream Shatterer, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, Buckwild's my homeboy. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm cool with a few producers, man. And those are... Mm-hmm. Um, Young Lord was actually a producer I met before I was even producing. We went to high school together. And I remember he used to tell you, he'd be like, what you do? He said, I'm a producer. I'm like, what's that? He was like, no, nah, I'm working with Craig Mack right now. I'm working with... Because um, he was working with Bad Boy. He was one uh-huh. of the hitmen. And he was like, I'm working with I'm working with this person, that person. And I used to be like, oh, that's dope. And he was actually the first person I seen be accomplished as a producer that was in my age range. He was actually a year younger than me. And I was just like, this dude is moving, man, coming in this 
I remember he had he bought this big ass YL chain filled with diamonds, and this was before people was on it like that. And I'm like, oh, this dude getting some money because back then it was different, man. It's like you produce one record, you get fifteen thousand. Now it's like you got a damn near tell somebody fifteen thousand, man. You got a damn near be number one on the charts for the last two three months. Yeah, but you know it is what it is. There's other ways to make money that wasn't around before. Would you consider working with any other producers? Collaborating? Yeah. No. You're all yourself, no. just solo. I just it doesn't make sense to me. What do we go? Like again, I told you, music is about feelings. Mm-hmm. I don't want to try to mix feelings with you on a record. We might, you might have had the best day of your life, I might have had the worst day of my life. What are we gonna make? Yeah, you understand? It's like, and I try to explain that to people without sounding like I'm just bullshitting them and being arrogant. It does not make sense. I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear mixed feelings on a record. Like, if I'm a Timbaland fan, I want to hear the beat that Timbaland is going to make. Yeah. And if I'm a Swiss fan, I want to hear what Swiss got to make. I don't want to hear Swiss and Timbaland together, Swiss doing the drums, Timbaland doing... I don't, no, I don't want to hear that. Mm. You understand? Like, if we're going to be on the same album, collaborating that way, like, I do my records, we might talk about what the album needs, and you do that record, and that's fine. Yeah. But as far as sitting there and you play the keys, and now I'm going to do... It's like, I tried that one time, and it's just it's corny to me. It's like... The other person is never going to have... It's like... I, They're I did, never going to be on the same level. Right. I did that for years with another producer that I was working with at the time. He was in... I guess you could call him. He was new, and I was just trying to recreate a sound and at the same time give him a platform. And that shit ended up turning out to be like we would be doing records, and I would think that it got to a good place, and now he want to add this and do that and soften up the... It was just too much, man. Like, And there's times I felt a way about it, and I'm like, if I say something, that, do I look corny trying to beef about something and then I, it was just too much I was like already got a sound that I built for years why am I doing this yeah. and that shit just left a it left a bad feeling with me and I'll never I'll never do it again mm-hmm. if there's any artists out there that you could work with that you haven't worked with I mean you work with a lot of people in this industry mm-hmm. who would they be um gotta go for the gotta go for the top dogs man Eminem's Jay-Z's uh-huh. um Shit, down to the you know the Fifty Cent's. Yeah. I just just people that I'm fans of. You know what I'm saying? Like I've always been a fan of Fifty Cent's movement when he first came out. I think he's a dope rapper. I just think now he's just preoccupied with a lot of things. Power. But, yeah, but I just mean in general, he's in a whole different stratosphere in life. I just mean if I would love to have his fully undivided attention to work on a project. Mm. I think that would be so fire because again, he's a super creative. And talented dude. So, yeah, like Jay-Z, Eminem, 50 Cent. Um, I've worked with a lot of other people that are pretty relevant now, yeah. so it's hard to, you know, those are just like, that's the bucket list. Well, Jada. I, I've worked with Jada on other albums, but mm-hmm. I would love to work with Jada on his own project. I think that'd be dope. That's what we need. More hits from the Arsonist and Jada Kiss, as we all know. Yeah, man. Now, what is next for you, Arsonist? Everything. A little bit of everything. I'm, I'm working on... Um, uh, I'm working on uh, Gorilla Glue Part 2 with Fred the Godson, Joel Ortiz. I'm working on El Capo Part 2 or a.k.a. Jimmy and the Heatmakers. Um, hopefully doing some records with Ross. We're going back and forth now. I'm actually checking my phone to see if to see if he hit me and let me know <laughs> which records he's taking. But, um, yeah, Ross um, doing some, uh, did I say Remy, Remy's album? Uh, who else? Me and Cam got some got some talks about doing some things, you know. When it's more clear, I'll talk about that. Um, 
any and everybody, man. I can't even. I'm just working with a bunch of artists you might have never heard before, but you know how that shit go. But the, the the artists I'm naming is probably the ones that you would know from the you know the Ross to Remy to 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 Jim to Cam, Joel's when he comes home. Uh, you know, I'm just I'm just trying to work, man. And Davies, he's supposed to get in and do something. We've been talking about. We've been talking for a couple of years about doing something, but when last time he came out of the studio, you know, he want to lock in, so I'm going to do some stuff with Davies. I'll be looking forward to that, too. Shout out to Davies. Oh, yeah, and I, um, I know I forgot about this. I actually spoke to him this morning. I should have, uh, I don't know the date yet. I'm waiting for him to hit me back, too, but I should have a little EP coming out with uh with Currency. Okay, a little, yeah. a little five song EP with currency. We did all five records already. I'm just waiting for him to. Actually, I think we're waiting on a gym verse. I gotta, I gotta get Jim a verse on this one song. But other than that, the shit is done. I just gotta wait for him to see what what moves he want to make and what he want to do. But it's done. That's it. And I want to wish luck to your Baltimore Ravens. You told me you're a Ravens fan. Yeah. I know they play the Titans this week coming. Yeah. So it's actually they... a tough game. Yeah, Derrick Henry's nasty. Yes, yeah, so it's just a tough game because they're the one team, them and I believe I would have said Buffalo before they lost, but they're the two teams that can actually keep the ball out of Lamar Jackson's hands yeah. because they're running game. You know what I mean? They can put together a running game. But we'll see what happens, man. Lamar Jackson, he surprised the shit out of me this year. I, didn't, I did not have, and this is no disrespect to him, but I just didn't have the faith that he would be this. I knew he was, I seen him in college, I knew he was nice. I just didn't know his game would translate to this. Yeah. Well, he's going to show it this year, the playoffs. I mean, sure just hope so. think of the quarterbacks in that draft that just didn't make it, and he did. And everyone didn't think he was going to be this good. They doubted him. No, but I, I, don't, I don't know not one person that thought he would be this good this yeah. quick. Like, come on. He went from last year to – I mean, not last year – he went from people trying to convert him into a wide receiver two years ago yeah. to him being the, the quarterback of the Baltimore Ravens, who I think they, they had the most wins in the NFL this year, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. and he's about to be MVP. Nobody, and that's motivation, too. Nobody could tell you that. You use that as motivation. But he said it. When he yeah. got drafted, he said it. He said, yo, because he was mad that he got drafted when he got drafted. He said, yo, I'm a, he said, I promised the Ravens I'm going to bring him a Super Bowl. Let's be yeah. see what happens. And let's hope he does it this year for your sake. Yeah, why not? Why not? Yep. I'm with it. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to get out in the airwaves there, the arsonist? Um, just just be on the you know, keep your ears open, no man. Count. I'm always I'm always making new music. Mm-hmm. I'm actually leaving here going to the studio. Oh, it's fire. Going to make some hits. Automatically. Exactly. Now tell everyone that's listening right now where they can follow you on the Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Instagram, it's official heat makers with a Z. So O F F I C A C I A L H E A T M A K E R Z. At um, on Twitter, it's the heat makers with a Z. All right, let's get it. Thank you, Arsonist, for coming today. WSJU Radio, St. John's University, for a great interview talking about your music and much more. You dropped a lot of gems on air here today, and we appreciate it. Thank you, my brother. No Thanks doubt. For having me, no man. doubt. Anytime, you're always welcome to come up here. All right. All right, my brother. Have a good day, you too. You too, man.
this the realest since Kumbaya. Kumbaya, killer can, my lord, still the man with the pants, Skrilla fan, more blood. Now bitches, they wanna do to me, niggas, they wanna do to me. The hooligan and hula hands, maneuvering's nothing new to me. Doggy, I'm from the land of grind, pan, pan, gram a dime. Not toes or MC, when I say hammer time. Beef, I hammer mine, when I get my hands on nines. If I have on Bama line, corduroy's camera shine. In my ear, call them lemon heads. Lemon head, end up there. Ice like Winnipeg. Gemstone, Flintstones. You can say I'm friends with bread. One happy, scrappy. I got the tacky at me. Bitches say I'm tacky. Daddy range look like happy tacky. Sing. It's me. Clap. Sing. It's me. Clap. Sing. Then we're pitching up. Rob Bass, Mace, Dougie Fresh, switched it up. I do both. Who am I to fuck traditional? So I parked in a tollway zone. Chrome. I don't care. That car throwaway home. Welcome to Harlem. We're welcome to problems. Awful furlough. Fella, fellas get partners. Them niggas movie bangs. Stood out like booty tang. Soon as a stooly sang. That's when the tooty sang. Bang, bang. Came from that movie ring. Snap, crack, jewelry, bling. Flat, jack, we bring. Clack, clack, coolie ring. Bad rap, cuties cling. Ass cap, put him in the river. I'm the sushi king. And I'ma keep it fresh. Like the fish eat your flesh. Yes, sir, please confess. Just say he's the best. Sing. Clack. Yes. It's me. Sing. Sing. Clack. Yes, sir. So you're here. Purple Haze, the album. You ready? Roll that shit. Light that shit. Now smoke that shit. Now get ready for the drama.
Trouble hearing? Don't skip this video. If you're suffering from premature hearing loss, the struggle could soon be over. Thanks to recent technological advances, hearing aids are not any more discreet but more affordable than ever before. Most people don't know that hearing loss is incredibly common. In fact, statistics show that around 40% of over 50 suffer with hearing loss. And now, with groundbreaking designs and world-class aftercare, there's no need to suffer in silence. Are you eligible? Click the button below to find out. The most common causes of hearing loss are age and exposure to prolonged periods of background noise. Hearing loss is a natural part of the ageing process, but luckily there are some highly effective ways to counter it. You no longer need those chunky pieces of plastic that your grandparents might have worn. Hearing aids are now sleek and well designed and use modern digital technology. Many people can significantly improve their lives with a hearing aid. It's now completely free to find out if you qualify. Click the button below to find out.
Choking niggas like I'm Spreewell. Golden State, holding your fate in the palm of my hand. Blow you away like it's part of the plan. I gotta call it like I see it. Talking like I be it. Walking my walk, thugged out, all competed. Cause I'm soon to be up. Give me room, watch me heat up. Niggas try to stick me like Abdul Uriba. Follow the leader, make me go extra hard. Yo, Nori, should I hold back or show the repertoire? Quit at 16 or throw an extra ball just for the non believers. I show them why it's so hard to reach us. I get pussy with my father's features. Puff heavily, see me at 6'1, weigh a buck 70. Catch me in spots, y'all niggas never be. Packed in like Green Bay, Harlem Week to Queen's Day. Performing a cappella, no DJ. 98 Live, no replay. Make it seem easy. So tell a friend and tell a friend that it's them again. Nature, no Diego. Wow, friend. Champagne on the rocks, born of Fort Knox, Lazarus, Shark Salad with cabbage, pork chops and applesauce, twin connection. Disrespect and watch your body game and pump the shoddy gauge and hit the shorty while body training. I ain't playing, I'm truly the worst. Who be the first to get his whole body fully reversed? Who's he, your herbs, sleepy double dead? I'm a bubble head. I never listen to nothing my mother said. I get one whole nigga's ransom for money like Johnny Handsome. The son of niggas so long, I think I got a grandson. My passion is money, a stash and a honey that won't ask no questions. Or don't blast anybody, that's my kind of girl. Kind of world I want to live in, not a cell or a prison or in hell. Just a little ghetto Where my niggas control the middle And know the riddles of life While others know what we get little Rich places, sick places See my story, 6,666 pages Wages, I wrote six aces And that the same dice game, I caught six cases All 